Hello, family. Hello. Are you ready for uh, the good news? Yes. Amen, me too. Grab your Bibles, open them up. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Where we're going to be today. Just while you're turning there, a quick recap of where we've been. Uh, so far, God has flooded the earth, wiping out everyone except Noah and his family. Uh, Noah lands in the new creation, and God gives him the same instructions that he gave to Adam, interestingly enough, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to cultivate the world. Noah is clearly portrayed uh, by the writer as a second Adam. And what we see in the account uh, is that Noah is, though he's in a new world, he brings with him and his family the same old problem, the problem of sin and shame. In this whole account that we're getting ready to read, it reads much like a second fall of Adam, interestingly enough, especially with the emphasis on nakedness and exposure and covering. We're going to see a whole lot of similarities and so with that said, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Genesis 9:18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. <clears throat> And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Jepheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be to Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers." He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jepheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Uh, we've come here because we need you. We need to hear a good, nourishing word from you, the spiritual bread of heaven. Lord, we need uh, forgiveness, Lord, for the things we've thought and done said. But also, Lord, we need you to remove our shame for those things that we carry and for everyone here that is carrying shame, Father God, would you let them know that they are in the right place? They are in the right place. At your feet is where that is removed. So speak to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make us whole. Make us one with you. Feed your lambs, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The first thing that we discover in this account is that despite the cleansing of the entire uh, world by the great flood, sin still persists. It endures. Sin was carried onto the ark along with people. And with sin came the natural consequences of shame and nakedness and exposure it's the, it's the old problem that we saw with Adam, as, uh, as Yogi Berra once said. It's deja vu all over again. There's a lot of deja vu in these next few chapters of Genesis. It's like a repeat. It's really kind of amazing to read. So, so here's where we are. Here's the situation in the story. Noah gets drunk on his homemade wine. Uh, he's pretty old at this point. I'm imagining he pretty much knows how to make wine. So this one an accident. He gets so drunk, in fact, that he takes off all of his clothes and passes out in his room, his tent. Uh, nakedness is clearly tied to shame and dishonor, just like we re- read in the case of, uh, case of Adam and Eve, right? And so Noah's sons, they respond to their own father's nakedness and shame in two radically different ways. Uh, Each of them have a different solution to the shame that they encounter. That's what we need to notice here. Scripture uh, tells us plainly that all people of the world came from the offspring of these three men, right? So we are supposed to read the actions of Ham, Shem, and Japheth as representative of us. We're supposed to see us in this story. And incidentally, Shem and Japheth, they act and they are referred to as one son. Okay? So we have like two ways to respond here. And in, in, in these brothers, we see the, the foolishness of our solution to shame and we see the wonderful solution that God provides. And so first, we need to talk about our solution when we encounter and experience shame. We try to alleviate our shame by taking pleasure in it. We try to alleviate it by taking pleasure in it. I know that sounds confusing, but I'll unpack what that means here in a second. Verse 22, it says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, so Canaan Canaan was his son, the grandson of Noah, yes? Okay. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. That's what he did. That's how he responded. Now, what's interesting about the way that this story is recorded is that even though Noah sins by becoming drunk, that's not what the writer emphasizes. Don't you find that interesting? That's not what the writer foregrounds. He emphasizes, he foregrounds the shame of what Noah did, and he foregrounds the sinful response of his son, Ham. So upon seeing Noah passed out in his room completely naked, Ham takes pleasure in how his father has shamed himself. That's what's being described here. He gets a giggle out of it. The Hebrew word for this phrase, saw his nakedness, literally means he uncovered his nakedness. So, But being naked means you're uncovered. So how do you uncover nakedness? You see what the writer is trying to show here? 
This wasn't like he walked into dad's house, got a quick peek, and then like averted his eyes because it was so embarrassing or such a disgraceful sight to see his dad snoring there on face down on the floor. That's not what Ham did. This implies a further reveling in the shame. Like, I'm staring at dad. (laughs) Hmm. He uncovered his nakedness, right? It it is a possible, possibly a reveling in the shame of his dad. Are Are you getting the picture? And then Ham goes outside and discusses the lurid details of all this with their brothers because they didn't know about it. We have another potential Cain and Abel situation on our hand with these brothers, depending on whether the other brothers respond righteously or unrighteously. You see how this so mirrors Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and 4? So what Ham is doing to his father it's basically like the modern equivalent of seeing your father caught in the act of sin that is scandalous, and instead of lovingly confronting your father about his sin, you secretly video record it on your phone. And then you post it to Instagram with a clever little caption so the rest of the world can pile on your dad. Emotionally, existentialistically, that's what that feels like. Remember, they're like the only people in the world, right? And so from this incident, by the way, is going to come the fifth commandment. All the Ten Commandments are in Genesis. Did you know that? They're there before the law was given. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. We cannot honor them if we are taking some measure of pleasure in seeing their downfall or seeing them shamed for things they've done, right? We, we do the same thing today, do we not, if we're being honest? Don't we do the same thing? Maybe not openly, but in our heart. And, and it goes both ways, by the way. It goes both ways. It's trendy right now for parents to video record their teenagers after getting their wisdom teeth out. The parent will capture all the dumb things that you say that don't make sense, all your tears, all your hysteria, like what's going wrong. They'll ask you about secret things that you've done that nobody knows about because you're under the influence of real powerful drugs. And then they'll post it to TikTok or Twitter for strangers to laugh at, taking a very vulnerable moment and finding joy in your embarrassment. That's a real thing, by the way. In the same way, as kids get older and they grow up and they become adults, they recognize the shame of their parents. They look at old timelines and photographs. And maybe their outright sins of their parents become known and revealed. And they hold their parents prisoner to that moment in time. They hold their parents prisoner to the sins that they did in their past. And I'm not going to forgive you for that ever. Uh, Maybe we find out that our parent uh, was a drunk, like Noah. He did get drunk at my birthday. 
Um, or maybe that they held racist beliefs. Or maybe they pressed their ridiculous fears upon you when you were really young. Uh, or, or maybe you find out, you know what, my parents were really actually insecure people. But they blustered like they were the fount of all wisdom. Family, what, what memories do you replay in your mind when you think about your mom or your dad? Like when you scroll through those videos in your mind, what, what comes up? What comes to the top? Are, are your primary thoughts about them related to their failures or maybe to just their weaknesses or maybe just their foibles? Does their shame of ruining their marriage or ruining their reputation because of something that they did or ruining their career become an opportunity for you to take satisfaction in that you're so glad you're so not like dad and so not like mom? Or maybe their shame is the reason that you tell yourself that your reason you're not meeting your full potential it was my mom's fault, my dad's fault. The spirit of Ham lives in us, amen? See, taking pleasure in the things that we ought to be ashamed in, it, it goes really deep. It goes deep. What Ham does, he passes down to one of his four sons. Did you catch that? I mean, we know that the Canaanites were well known for their perverse sexuality and how shameless they were for the atrocities that they committed against Israel. Isn't that interesting? That's the two things that they had a reputation for, and everybody knew it, and they were glad everybody knew it. They felt no shame in their sins or the sins of their families, and they boasted about it. They, like, carved it on, like, the modern-day, like, Internet. They would carve it into little cylinders that we still have today because they wanted everybody to know about it and be afraid. Boasting can be as simple as just renaming our sin. I'm not going to call what it is. I'm not going to investigate myself. I'm not going to look inside myself. I'm just going to rebrand it. Now, we're not gossiping. We're just informing people. We are carrying on a public service. We're not being divisive. We're being honest. We're not addicted. We're just recuperating from a late night we had. We're not arrogant. We're just right. We celebrate what we should condemn in ourselves. Remember, we, I'm not talking about everybody else, guys. We always apply at Crossway here first, us, yes? We take pleasure in what we should turn our eyes away from. We boast about what ought to make us cringe. And we say, no, I'm doubling down on that. And the more you cringe, the happier I feel. And that is one way that we alleviate our shame. I'm not going to let you make me feel ashamed. I'm going to be proud of it. But the problem with that solution is this, and it bears out in the text. With each 
passing generation, our inability to be ashamed of actual sin increases our enslavement to that sin. Let me say that again. Our inability to be ashamed of actual sin increases our enslavement to it. The text shows us that Ham is passing on the sin of taking pleasure in shameful deeds onto his son Canaan. Where do you think Canaan learned it? It's Lamech and his sons all over again. Do you see this? And as a result, Noah says that Canaan, Noah says that Canaan will be a slave to it. In fact, Noah says that he will be a servant of all people because of it. He is the, he'll be the lowest of the lowly. He'll be a slave of slaves. That's how enslaved Canaan will be if he doesn't repent. And of course, he did not. He's the son of Ham. Exposure, uh, nakedness should lead us to seek freedom from our sin. Brothers and sisters, it's not all bad. It's like, it's like, the, the, like the light on the dashboard going off, like something's wrong. God uses exposure not to enslave you and I further, but to move us to repentance so that we will be free from its power, free from that nakedness. He wants to use that to move it towards him. He doesn't want us feeling ashamed all the time and trying to make our own solutions. No, he doesn't. And that's exactly, by the way, what we see in the response of the other brothers. We see that we need a righteous son who will cover our shame. That's what you and I need the most when we're feeling ashamed. You need a righteous sign that'll cover your shame. It's here in verse 23. It says, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their Father, their faces were turned backwards and they did not see their father's nakedness. They would not even look at it. Okay. Shem and Japheth are described and they are referred to and they even in this incident act as one. They act as one son. Okay. They act as the counterpoint uh, brother to Ham. So when they, he goes outside and tells them all the details about what dad did last night. Uh, when they hear the news of their father's shame, they jump into action. They do something about it. Notice the words that are used here. They're very similar to the words that, are, that were already used uh, in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. They are acting like God. They are covering the nakedness of Noah with a garment. The same way that God covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve with a garment. In Genesis, a beautiful book of the Bible, it says that they refused to look upon their father's shame. They literally and physically turn away from what shames their dad and they do something to cover it. 
they do not cover his sin. They do not cover his sin. No, that needs to be exposed. That, in fact, that is known. That has been brought into the light as it should. I mean, they can't not talk about him being drunk last night at breakfast, right? They can't pretend that didn't happen. They're going to talk about the sin. But we see here that they soberly, and might I add mercifully, act like God in covering his shame instead of finding pleasure in it. They do not want to see Noah destroyed by the shame of his sin. That ought to make you and I ask, where did they learn this kind of merciful relationship? I mean, they're the only people in the world, right? So where did they learn this kind of merciful relationship? Was it not from being in a covenant relationship with God himself? Yeah, does not Noah say as much in verse 26? I mean, notice he doesn't bless Shem. What's it actually say? He blesses Yahweh. He blesses Yahweh God, who is the God of Shem. That's what he says. The God of Shem. Shem has been in a covenant relationship with God, and he knows God intimately. That's why Shem is acting like God to Noah. He's doing what he has experienced God doing for him, covering his shame clothing us again with garments when we have stripped ourselves naked through our own sin. Listen, this is the gospel right here in Genesis. God doing something for us that we can't do for ourselves. This is the solution to the deep shame that we feel and we may even be feeling today for the sins that we do or the sins that are, have been done to us and stuck on us. We need a good son. We need a righteous son who will cover our nakedness. We need a son that even when we have wrecked our reputation in the twilight ladder retirement years of our life will mercifully cover us. Amen? And the good news is that we have a son like this. In Jesus Christ, the Son, the Son of God, who incidentally came from the line of Shem. Did you know that? Read a genealogy in the Bible. <laughs> they matter. Jesus restores our dignity that we have ruined by covering us with pure garments that he has made, not out of cotton and not out of wool, but from his very own righteous deeds. That's the material he's used to make these garments. You see, on the cross, Jesus was stripped naked. He was ashamed so that we could be covered in his righteousness and never ashamed for the very things that we've done against him and against our neighbor. He was cursed so that we would be blessed. 
He experienced deep humiliation like no other so that we could be free from humiliation and we could be whole people. Jesus, the Son of God, sits at the right hand of our Father now and he is talking and speaking on our behalf because that's what a good son does. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That's the thing about shame. It's sticky, isn't it? It clings. You carry it everywhere. And he's saying, lay it aside. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He went from most cursed to seat of honor, right hand of God, right? So consider him. When you're feeling shame, here's what you need to consider. Here's what you need to think about and mull over in your mind. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of God the Father for us. When my sister and I were very very young children, we'd go swimming in our grandparents' house in Texas where it's super hot and everyone has a pool in their backyard. And we loved it. Some of our best memories was swimming in that pool. And, she, and Courtney and I, we'd, we'd stay in that pool for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and we never wanted to come out until our grandmother would come out and she would make us get out of the pool and come inside because our skin was pruning all over us. <laughs> but we were reluctant to come inside. And, the re- and there was a good reason. Because she would always have the air conditioner on like full tilt all day long. And we just did not want to come. And when that ice cold air would hit our naked skin, it almost hurt. And our teeth would chatter. And we'd tense up. And it was painful almost. We wanted to come to her. But we hesitated because of the pain of exposure. My grandmother was smart and she knew there was a very effective solution. And I can still picture her now, right now, doing this. She, what she'd do is she'd meet us at the doorway with a thick, warm, adult-sized blanket <laughs> and stretched out between her hands. And we knew that if we ran from the pool straight to the doorway into her arms, we, we would be wrapped up by her in a garment that completely covered us from head to toe. And the sting of the cold, it only lasted a few seconds. The sting would only last a few seconds. Friends, you and I do not need to be afraid. We do not need to fear being exposed for the sinners that we are. Okay? We don't. You know why? Because Jesus has provided covering for our shame. Jesus will not mock you when you come to him and say, I sinned. 
I'm a sinner. He won't mock you. Why? Because he knows well what mocking feels like. Why would he do that to you? He will not add to your embarrassment. He will not re-traumatize you for the things that you've done or said or should have done and just didn't do it. No, he won't. So go straight to Jesus in your shame. And that's where you're at and that's what you're feeling. I implore you, you need to run to Jesus. Leave the pool you're swimming in and run to the doorway. Tell him what you cannot bear a second longer. Confess to him what you are tired of carrying and cannot carry anymore. And Jesus will wrap you in thick robes of his righteousness. The sting only lasts a second. And the warmth is forever. He is standing at the door with a garment in his hand for you. Yes, you. I just want to end with a blessing from the Psalms. Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Blessed be the Lord and Father of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for all the shame that you endured, the nakedness, the mocking that you endured on the cross for shameful things that you did not do. We did them. You didn't do them, but you endured it for our sake. And you did all of that so that we could be clothed in your morality, not ours, in your righteous deeds, not ours, in your righteous words, fitly spoken, not ours. So, Father God, I pray that your word would be pressed down into our heart and even down into our soul. It would bother us today in a good way. It would move us to move towards you, to run to the doorway. And you're standing there. You're standing there with your arms open. And for everyone that is uh, feeling that shame and they're enslaved in the trap, show them a way out is to, to confess it to Jesus. That's the way. There is no other way. And you're so willing to provide. Help them see your, your face has a smile and it's shining. It's in your sacred name we pray. Amen.